there, mate. Hi, everyone. This is Terry Downing, formerly of Judas Priest, and you're listening to Focus on Metal, so crank it up as loud as you can. Hey, Metalheads, Scott here. And Richie. Welcoming you to this week's extremely special episode of Focus on Metal with our special guest, the one, the only, K.K. Downing. Finally got someone from The Priest on the show, or at least somebody formerly of The Priest on the show. Yeah, I think biggest guest we've had on, I'd say, is Joe Perry, and you got to talk to him. Yep. So this is probably the biggest name I've ever spoken to. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. When, like, we've, I've been doing the show six years now. Yeah. So. Well, you talked to Glenn. I've spoken to Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. Three so, three times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be either, <laughs> it'd be Glenn or Glenn or KK. Right? Yeah. When yeah. it comes to guitar players, definitely KK. Well, we had Satriani on too. Yeah, but you spoke to him. I didn't. Yeah. Um. Yeah. As far as for you, yeah, probably KK. Yeah. 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 De- oh, definitely. Yeah. I was pretty nervous uh, sp- speaking to him. Um. You know, I. I you get a book like that. I've I've read his book. Books very good. Um, There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. To ask. And yeah. I, I don't know what he'll pick up in the interview, but um, when you were editing it, I asked all the questions in chronological order. Right. I don't know whether you whether you noticed that when I was doing it. I started yeah. in, in except Addie's, for the last one, which is kind well, of a yeah, which is very, kind of a retrospective. Yes. Thing. The last one yeah. was, a, but everything everything I asked was in order. Yeah. I didn't really want to go back and forth all the time. I wanted to kind of have a little bit of structure. Yeah, and I, and, and I, I also like the fact that, I mean, obviously KK's making the rounds. He's talking to a lot of folks, a lot of our, our, our fellow shows out there and stuff. But um, in the kind of the style you've been doing it too, that you've, you've been kind of asking some unique questions as well and not the kind of the, the boilerplate, you know, 20 questions kind of thing too, which was great. It, it kind of went a little bit off script on it than most people, which is gives a little bit of a different perspective with what you did. Well, I, I don't know about the other shows. Um, I've listened to a couple of the interviews. I don't know whether they've all read the book or yeah. not. Because sometimes what happens with these things, um, you don't get the stuff in time. You don't get the album. Right. You don't well, get the Well, that's another thing, too. It's a good point because, I mean, you told KK right up front. And and I think he had a sense with with what you asked, like, okay, you've read the book. Mm-hmm. And you made it clear, I read the whole book. Yes. And you could tell by his demeanor in that short span of time that he was very surprised probably delighted about it but surprised that you actually read the book beforehand as well so and i think you're right i think there's a lot of people that are interviewing him that probably are focusing in on you know what are you doing now why'd you leave rather than concentrating on make the book and by the way the book is called heavy duty we haven't mentioned that yet um and it actually comes out if you're listening to this on Wednesday, it comes out today. Um, and he did it with our buddy Mark Eglinton, who we've had on the show before for uh, one of his Metallica books. And maybe we'll have Mark on again to talk about the KK one. He does know that we're running this one. He, he hit us up. Let it, you know, hey, when are you guys running that? So, um, you know, Mark, I always would love to have you come back on and, and talk about this as well and get kind of your, your writer's perspective on KK. But again, uh, it's called Heavy Duty. It's pretty much available anywhere you're going to buy books. And it's a it's it's a big book. 
So yeah, it's a it's a great read. Um, I found that a band like Priest haven't really had a book like this out. And no, I mean they did. There's the 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 ones that Martin wrote. Yeah, but they were mostly more about album the albums. Focus. Yes, but there was there was. I mean, because of of a lot of the craziness that happened during some of their albums, you know, like showing up and finding out that all the gear is out of the studio because of financial issues with the studio and having to like kind of rebuild. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there, but I'm, I'm sure, right. This goes in a different, in a different direction. And uh, I'm, I'm, I haven't got it yet. Uh, should be arriving. I don't know. As you're listening to this on Wednesday, maybe I'll get it today, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to, to wanting to read it. I, I, you know, did the pre-order a while back and, uh, you know, we'll just, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I know you liked it and uh, yeah. I think a lot of it, a lot of the focus on it is going to be about his relationship with uh, Glenn Tipton. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of that in the book um, in the beginning and especially in the end. So I got a question for you on this too, since I haven't read the book. Okay. Right? So I don't know all the cast of characters in the band in KK's life. Okay. That probably would come in, in play in this book, mm-hmm. but might not necessarily be kind of uh something I'd read in Guitar World or something I would have read in Martin's books or anything like that. But you do talk about his relationship to Glenn. So is that Tipton or is that a different Glenn? No, it's Tipton. Okay. And and just also because any, any listeners who haven't read it either, um, just so everybody knows, I mean, the obvious assumption is, yeah, it's Glenn. But I just want to make sure that everybody's in the right frame, that when you talk about his relationship to Glenn, you're talking about, about tip. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay, cool. Definitely. I just want to make sure because I'm even <laughs> editing it, and I'm like, I can make the assumption and be dumb and just think, okay, well, it's got to be Glenn, but Glenn's a fairly common name, and it could be somebody else in the, in sphere. And if I haven't read it, and somebody else who's listening hasn't read it, I just figured I'm just going to true this up so we all know. So. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's great to talk to him. I was, I was like, I asked for. I was shocked. Minutes. I was shocked like, with how much I, time I asked. Got. I asked for forty minutes, and I was told that uh, thirty minutes or so maximum, forty-five. Yeah. And I spoke like to him. 50. For, I spoke to him for fifty. I was minutes. shocked. I was. I mean, it was. I was happy. It was um, like, oh, this is awesome. I would have stopped talking to him if I didn't feel he wasn't in. You know, uh-huh. if he was, you know wrote answers or, or, or right some, no or we and you can tell you, he was still 100 with you because with your last question he put a lot of thought into that he, yeah he really explained himself on that mm-hmm. um even even that last question even made me think like if i could redo any any of the music i've done like what would i do and i i was kind of ended up kind of in the same mindset as he did but that was a great last question and i'm sure that nobody else asked that I don't know. No one. I, he's, there's a lot of interviews out there. I um, I don't know. There, I asked him a couple of things that he mentioned, and, and I'm not going to tell you what I asked him before yeah. we get into the interview, but there was a couple of things that he just mentioned in the book and didn't go into detail on. And then there was a, there was a couple of things that I always wanted to know uh-huh. that aren't in the book. Yeah. And I had him on the phone, so fuck <laughs> it, I was going to ask him. Well, that's that's good. That's good. So I know... You know you and I both like to read, and we this kind of books we really enjoy and get into, and pretty much I'll probably slam through it pretty fast too, Two days just because me. I'll be absorbed in it. Yeah. 
But one thing that I think both of us have had for the predominance of books like this we've had is that there's always that one or two chapters that are kind of like either they go through like a hyperspace warp of time or like in, in Mustaine's book where all of a sudden he goes off on this whole like his beliefs thing for a chapter and it kind of loses, at least it lost me for like, why are we spending an entire chapter on this? Kind of like, almost like a, I'm going to have my manifesto out in one chapter and then we'll continue the story kind of thing. So is there, is in here, is there any kind of either, uh, uh, just like a, a, like a whip through like 10 years of like, what the fuck? Or is um, there a, just not, some other like bizarre thing? Not really. No, that's um, good. A lot of it I liked is um, is the, his childhood, yeah, which is not normal. I'll let you read the book uh-huh. and let KK talk about it a little bit. He's he's spoken about it in other interviews. Yeah, uh-huh. he gets into that. Um, he talked a lot of a lot of the book as well as on um, the beginning of the band, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, which is great. So you kind of get the whole Al Atkins um, and go, all that. He does the albums. Yeah, but he doesn't go into. There's not like Joe Satriani's book where it's a chapter on every single album. Sure, yeah. He he does talk about it, but all those albums have been talked about in interviews over the years anyway. Very true. Um, yeah. It's I think a lot of people, they really want to know about why he left, why uh-huh. he retired, yeah. what his relationship was like um, with the uh, with the band. Right. And... Um, but based on the questions that you've asked, you asked. Yes. And I won't put spoilers in here. Yeah. What I, one of the takeaways I have from your chat is that all of that stuff you just described is integral to everything else in the story. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, and it was interesting because I finally got around the other day, actually, I, I, it took me over two nights because I kind of got interrupted, but to, of watching the Twisted Sister documentary. Oh, it's very good, isn't it? It's great. But, it, but this, it reminded me of, of, of the discussion, part of the discussion you had with KK in that, so now you get this, you know, Jay's perspective from the beginning on D and D's perspective in the, from the beginning on JJ and how that kind of goes through and eventually manifests itself in kind of the relationship turmoil later on where everybody thinks, oh, this is, this is a new, oh, it's the band just got successful and they don't get along. And you watch that documentary and you find out that, it's rooted like from almost day one. And the sense I get from what you talked about with KK is that there's a similar situation here. Definitely. But it's not just um it's not just between KK and Glenn. Uh-huh. It's, there's other people involved yeah. in it as well. Yeah. And then there's other people I think that you know, they get the sense in the book that uh they don't want to rock the boat. Uh-huh. Um they're happy with what they're right. not in life at the moment. Right. And, you know, the thing is, is that, I mean, you, you even asked that to somebody else recently. Forgive me for not remembering who it was. But just about, you know, don't, why couldn't you just, what, people can't just get along for mm-hmm. a little bit of time and just make the money, enjoy playing to get like, yeah. like, you know, you're our age. Like, come on. Like, you can't just like make it work kind of thing. So I can see the, I can see the rock the boat part mm. of not wanting to do it and, and all that. So, you know, does, does in the book, does he go 
and because you didn't ask him any anything about this, but does he go into any of kind of the interplay guitar wise between Glennon and himself? The fact of that you know he has more of that Hendrix type, more freer blues bass, and Tipton is more of the technician type of a a little bit thing. Yeah, um, it's more uh, who does what mm-hmm. rather than who plays what style. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, um, I don't think because I, well, I used to, I would like like some of the when you see some of the live stuff and they take like they each take a solo on a song and, and and instantly their guitar personality plays out that you see KK and he does more blues bends and he does more stuff with the whammy bar type of thing and and a little bit more playing with feedback and all that and and Glenn has got more of that that precision and staccato picking and stuff like that and it's like and and so then when you listen to like Glenn's Baptism of Fire album you hear like okay that's Glenn. You know what I mean? You, you see, you hear exactly the kind of playing that you expect. And I would think that if 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 KK made a solo album, it would be like the perfect album for somebody like Glenn Hughes to like play bass and sing on. Like it would be that style. Mm. You know, that's where his roots, he shows his roots on kind yeah. of thing, you well, know? Well, the one thing you get out of the book is that um, KK definitely is, uh, he definitely wanted to be a team player and not that hurt him in the end yeah because someone else in the band wanted to be a, a dictator uh-huh. <laughs> and he and he didn't yeah. and um you know he just i think a lot of that had to do with him stepping away yeah he just got tired of it yeah um interesting i haven't uh i haven't seen much from the band i know the, the book is only coming out but um right. it'd be interesting when the book does come out um how they address it Mm-hmm. I think they have to, um, and I don't think they can give the crap answers they've been given so far about uh, about KK not being asked to come back when uh-huh. Glenn was, you know, diagnosed right. and all that st- stuff. I think KK goes very specific into certain situations, yeah, within the band, and the band. I think Judas Priest guys now they're going to be asked to be a bit more specific now uh-huh. because they're going to be asked more specific questions. Yeah. Yeah. Now, whether they answered or not is another thing. Um, I think Ian Hill has burned these bridges with KK by the, by huh. the sounds of it. Huh. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you say that uh, that we get into uh, your awesome chat with KK Downing? Sure. All right. Is that KK Downing? Yes, thank you. Is that Richard? It is. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm very good. Thank you very much for calling. Yeah. So I'm looking. I'm looking forward to this. Um, I got the book on Friday, and um, I finished it in two days. <laughs> That's good, guy, mate. Yeah. Well, I one one thing I normally try and do when I'm talking to, when I'm doing interviews, especially when it's a book. I really do want to read the book before uh, before I talk to you, so I I had to get through it. Yeah. So we'll get right into it, uh, KK. Um, when you when you got off the road, uh, did it take a little bit of getting used to not having the schedule of album tour, album tour? Um, I guess it did. Really, you know, it was. Um, 
it was, uh, yeah, I guess I've been doing that for so many years, really, which, yeah, I mean, as you said, it was songwriting, record, tour, songwriting, record, tour, and it was just, that was my life, you know, and uh, and when it stopped, it was kind of all a bit different, but... Um, it was. I, I can't lie. It was good to good to have a bit of a, a, you know a, a good long break. Yeah, yeah. So, did you put all the guitars away for a while? You didn't even touch them at all, or or, or did you keep playing in in the beginning? Yeah, um, I think I um, well, I kind of left everything in situ, and um, of course, what happened was, as you can imagine, when when the word got out that I was kind of you know, a free spirit or I was, you know, potentially available. Obviously, I was approached by a lot of people to do from uh, a guitar solo on a track to a track on an album, you know, or even do a whole album. I was, had, you know, lots of uh, bands that continue to participate around the world. But, uh, you know, I did, I did some stuff just purely as a favor here and there, you know. And um, and I'm always kept on doing that, but uh, I think the main thing I did was just trying to help um, as much as I could a couple of young bands and, and do some stuff like that, you know, um, help them with their record and stuff. Um, just do what I could, you know, um, for free, really. And um, but essentially, I guess I've always been pretty busy, really, since I kind of stopped with the band. Um, Doing one thing or another, running my website and uh, um, and say uh, doing bits and pieces here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. Now, KK, I'm always curious about the choice of the writer that you're going to write the book with, and on this one, you pick Mark Eglinton. But did it ever enter your mind that maybe you'd want to try and write the book yourself? Uh, not really. I think. Um no, I, I guess it would have took me forever, you know, I, I guess, possibly, because going into new territory like that, you know, um, I think essentially, um, doing it the way they actually did it, you know, was just basically, um, everything was recorded, you know, speaking, um, and, uh, regressing back into the day, you know, but being prompted by someone, to dig deeper was probably a good thing because um, it's amazing, really. Uh, the memories are strange thing. I think that uh, if you try hard enough, it's amazing what you can dig up. Uh, but inevitably, a lot of things get, get missed out. But um, but I think, all in all, I'm quite pleased with the uh, with the end result. Yeah. Now, KK, what made you pick Mark Eglinton to do it? No idea, really, to be honest. <laughs> 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 Richie, it was just um, it was just one of those things. I mean, I, I, I've been asked by lots of different people, and in my, I didn't give it too much consideration. But lots of people were from different countries, and that, and I, I, I never really knew how that would work. Um, but Mark, being from the UK, he approached me sometime last year. And I thought, you know what, now might be the time to do that, you know. And um, and um, so I just jumped in at the deep end and uh, gave it a go. Yeah. W- was it important for you that 
the author wasn't an uber fan of Judas Priest because if he was, he could write a book that would be, you know, a lot more friendly than what actually happened, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, I know Mark's a big music fan. Him and his brother went to a lot of concerts and... Um and I, I wasn't aware that he did a book for Rex Brown from Pantera, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always thought Mark seemed to be really quite knowledgeable, you know. Um, um, and, um, and like I say, I think with... Um, I guess it's when you do anything, really, whether it's um, write a, a play or a movie or or do something, you know, when people make these documentaries and, and all this stuff, you know, there's always an amount of, um, kind of, uh, not controversy, but obviously just opening people's minds to, uh, to uh, both sides of the fence in the story, really, you know, and I think that's, um, it's very important to get some of that stuff across. Yeah. How much of the, uh, of the discussion did you do with Mark face-to-face? Um, not a lot. We, we met up a few times and we would just discuss it without documenting it down. You know, the Mark was asking me a lot of questions about, you know, um, um, you know, a lot of times about, you know, about, uh, what we should cover, what we shouldn't and the areas and, and basically the strategy, but also, you know, just, um, off the record conversations just to, can get to know me as an individual, you know, sort of the uh, face, um, to a voice, so to speak. Yeah. Was there, when, when the book was more or less done, um, because of the word count, there's certain things that, you know, they have to leave out of it. Um, was there anything that Mark was on the fence about leaving out and you insisted that I had to go in? Can you remember anything? Not really. I think we were, you know, Pretty much, I think essentially, Mark just wanted me just to go at it and just tell the story how I saw it. Really, I think um, the great benefit I had from Mark was he was kind of you know um, dwell on some areas and say, yeah, you can remember a bit more about that. It was a fun time. It was an important time. It was this, you know, and uh, and um, otherwise you can. You can get a bit complacent. I was going to say lazy then, you know, just want to, want to move on. But it was pretty good um, at trying to... Because I was a bit concerned that it might get, you know, a bit boring at times because but Mark was pretty much adamant and kind of wanting me to, to go through, you know, um, stuff that the fans, I think, would be... We thought that the fans would be interested in, you know, uh, with each album, you know, coming together. And I thought that doing that chronologically... You know, um, might, you know, to me, obviously, it was, it was like old news, but he kept on saying, no, it's, it's, you know, a lot of this is absolutely brand new to the fans. You know, it's important that we document that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've read a lot of memoirs over the years, and when it comes to the, the pre-band, like what a lot of people term the, the, the guts of the story, um, they kind of gloss over a lot of that, um, and it's kind of like it's like that, you know, that mantra like "Don't bore us, get to the chorus" kind of deal. But yeah. y- you really went into your childhood a lot more than a lot of other books probably would, and that must have been really important to you. I think it was really because, in all honesty, 
um, which is the thing is, uh, when I first started writing the book, I didn't really know what to expect, to be honest. I was kind of out of my own comfort zone. And, um, and so when, you know, I was kind of always more interested in telling a story that nobody would have heard, you know, or, you know, like lots of people probably knew what we were doing in 1989, recording Manic Down or Painkiller or and we were in this studio, that studio, and all of those details. But kind of the dark area, you know, before everything kicked off. Um, I, I was kind of interested really, because the thing is, I thought it just might be of an interest to a lot of people out there, because I was, wasn't on my own. I'm sure that you'd agree there's, you know, millions of people that would have gone through a similar kind of, you know, um, upbringing than I did. And, um, and so kind of then, it was just making a connection with a lot of the fans that might have experienced, you know, some of that stuff. So that was one aspect. And the other aspect was I thought it just might be, you know, encouragement and help, you know, to to new uh, musicians, young musicians, whatever, just to basically get over to them that, you know, um, it's, it was a veritable miracle, I think, to transform from, from being a mix of a young teenager into kind of this, you know, international um, you know, uh, musician to in with a, a world acclaimed band. Um, and it was a case of, uh, you know, it, it could have gone anyway, really. So it didn't basically I really try to dig deep and have belief in yourself and um, be careful to choose, you know, the right band members that are going to stay there with you, you know, and um, for, a, you know, a long period of time. So I think there's lots of kind of, um, that was kind of my interest really, rather than document chronologically too much, um, you know, what the band did after it was already successful, if you know what I mean. It was kind of uh, a lot more intriguing for me to tell the story of, of really keep to get out of the gutter and get onto the world's big stages. Yeah. Now, one of the things that, I, I found fascinating was, and I think I counted, you, you saw Hendrix like five times, I believe. Yeah, I think I might have missed a couple of times out, you know, but, um, but certainly, um, yeah, I saw him twice at the Albert Hall, Coventry Theatre, Bristol Theatre, Roman Abbey, uh, whether there was anywhere else. Um, I'd have to think uh, even deeper, but it was great to have had that uh, experience. Yeah. Do, do you still have that poster that he signed for you? I didn't. You know, when I got when I got fired from the um, when I, I kind of got fired from the the hotel, the job I had, um, they 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 put all my stuff in a big big red polythene bags, and um, and uh, they. They decided to rip all my poetry up. Probably would have been worth a good hands of money by now. Oh, definitely. Now, one of the other things you find when you read a lot of memoirs is that there's a lot of guys when the band start up and they go out of their way to help them. They're not necessarily in the band. And it seems to me that Corky was the guy that really helped Judas Priest early on. He's kind of an unsung hero. Yes, it's true. It's true. He was a good help. He was, um, you know, he was able to uh, 
as we say, fudge things and uh, and get the band gigs when nobody else could and uh, and do those, you know, some good stuff. Yeah. Now, one of the things you said about the Killing Machine record, and there's a quote in the book, um, you achieved something sonically that hadn't existed before and never existed afterwards. And then in the end of the book, you say that you could have had a punch-up with any of the band after 1978. Are those two sentences related? Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Um, yeah, so so that was, let me cast my mind back now, 1978, doing Killing Machine. What did I say again, Richard? I could have had you a punch-up. You said you achieved something sonically that hadn't existed before and never existed afterwards. And I'm just thinking, what made you say that about Killing Machine? Because you said in the end of the book that you could have had a punch-up after 1978, so something must have changed directly after Killing Machine. Um, yeah, I think the fact that um, the denominator was the bands were starting to get successful, you know, and, um, and if I can remember why I said that, you know, it was probably around about that time. Because obviously we were going to Japan for the first time, to the United States for the first time, traveling, you know, getting recognition. And it's probably about that time, you know, you, you're kind of asking yourself that, um, you know, um, will people's egos start to, you know, um, come to fruition and you know where before was all that we were like the, we were the, we were the five young troops in a trench all fighting the same and we were all equal you know um, but then you know certain things happen maybe during the songwriting process or the performance and you think oh you know um, you know because that's, that's what happens and, and you have to be very wary about that I think really with you with, with bands that you know certain things don't start to creep in, you know. You know, it's it's inevitable. You know, pecking order forming, and um, and you know, and egos. Some people want to be seen more if you're on on the video. If you're doing a video, some people might want you know to do more solos on the record, or somebody might want a, a bigger slice of the songwriting. So. Yeah, we were getting, we were, you know, it was, uh, it was inevitable. I think when that, I guess it's when money starts to come around, isn't it? Really? <laughs> well, I'll put it all in a nutshell, you know. Um, but that's only natural, I think, in any business, you know. When, when, when you, when you're five, five geezers, you know, and you're all the same, and nobody's got anything, and there isn't anything to share, you're equal. But when, when there, when there is, um, writing on the tape starts to uh, appear. You know, so it was just um, me, me being, I think, uh, hopeful and wary that none of that would um, would uh, start to creep in. But I think it's things, you know, in a small way start to manifest and, and you get a little bit more, a little bit more, not exactly confrontation, but it just gets a little, you're just aware of that situation. I think that's what I meant by that. Yeah, Um a lot of bands now, you see that they have, um, you know, they bring psychologists out on the road with them and they've got all these support groups. Back then, did none of that exist at all? And do you think that would have helped? Yeah, no, no none of that, um, none of that existed then. No, I mean, um, I don't think it was, um, 
it, it certainly wasn't critical. It was just the start, you know, it was just the start of a band becoming successful and and getting noted, you know, and, and um, people, you know, it's funny, really, when you when you start to get success, uh, guys in the band want to do all the interviews, if you let them, you know, some of them, I've got the most of them, you know, um, and then once you've been doing it for, you know, towards the end of, uh, you know, my era, certainly for quite some time, you know, you know, you just don't want to do the interviews, you know, you've done that many times, but to start with, you want to get, you know, get out there in the limelight, and it's just, you know, it's, it's uh, something very understandable that people you know, want uh, enjoying the moment really, but sometimes want even more, uh, want a bit more than their fair share. Yeah, and one of the things you, one of the things you mentioned in the book, and you don't actually get into it, is um, doing live aid. Um, did did you understand the significance of that when you were doing it? No, absolutely not. I think um, I actually my memory served me well. I think we were the fifth band to accept to do that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is great, and uh, I don't know who the other bands were, or the first, second, third, and fourth, but I think we were fifth. Um, but since we accepted to do it, you know, um, the weather is absolutely just snowballed, which is incredible. So um, to be a part of that was uh, was fantastic, and one of the one, I would say one of the biggest highlights of my career for sure. Yeah, did you get a chance to mingle with any of the other? Musicians at all? Yeah, we we did. Yeah, because we were pretty much all in the same hotel <laughs> the <laughs> night before. It was like it, it was like the plane that must have been landing in you know the Philadelphia airport or wherever. And it we, we're just like a conveyor belt. People would you know if you stood in the lobby there one minute you know like Sabbath had, had come in and then the next minute you know Crosby still and that it was a conveyor belt of people you know and then everybody was starting to back up you know because once you get all of these artists in a big hotel lobby and you start talking it starts to get it was like a really big you know, like a big supermarket or something in the end you know so, so it's like everybody somebody's got to go to their rooms you know and drop their suitcases off you know but when you haven't seen people for so long you've got to be like that um, and uh, and it was great and we got to go on stage with uh, all those guys in the finale as yeah. well you know, with uh Tina Turner and Jagger and Harry Harry Belafonte and um, and Paul and Oates and you know yeah and the choir that was that was pretty I had a fair few beers by then I think we all had but um, it was good fun we managed to sing along okay um, the other thing that I found fascinating in the book was um, the Top Gun wanted reckless in the soundtrack and. Um, it didn't go in it, and like, what's the what's the reason for not putting a song in a soundtrack? Because it's so lucrative to do it. Is it just the initial cost of it up front that you don't know whether you're going to get it back? Is that the reason? Yeah, no, I think really, we were in LA you know, at the record plant mixing the record. It was pretty much finished, and we compiled it. And um, it must have been through our management, hooked up with uh, Sony, and uh, bought about. They procured the opportunity for us to have a song in the movie. Um, didn't know what it was called at the time, 
didn't know who uh, Tom Cruise was. Um, and I think it was Glenn and Jane from the management company went down to meet with the producers and they wanted uh, the track uh, Reckless for, for the movie. Um, on the band's behalf, Glenn and Jane said, well, we're we can call the album, which we had. Didn't really want to disrupt the, uh, the album, but we did have some uh, about three or so extra tracks. And so they were left with the company, but they they really wanted the uh, the rest of the song, so it got passed on, really. So uh, we didn't really know till the movie came out and became a blockbuster um, exactly uh, the boat that we'd missed, really. Yeah, because I, I think that song's brilliant. Did, did you ever play that live? You know, even I cannot remember that. I'd like to think we did. You know, but I don't know. In fact, I'm curious now. I'm going to have to Google it to see if we ever did. And I'm not sure. I can't remember playing it, whether it was in a rehearsal or something, you know, but I think maybe we did play it. I'm not sure, but it's a good question, that, Richard. I'll have to find out. Yeah. Now, I remember when the live album came out from that tour, and I, I looked in the, in the, I was looking for it on cassette, and I, you mentioned in the book a lot of the album covers, and you, I don't think you mentioned this one. Now, I'm not a fan of this album cover at all. <laughs> no, to, I don't think many, not many people liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just curious, what did you think of it at the time? Because a lot of the other covers are really, really good, and in this one, I was like, I, I honestly got KK when I saw that on the shelf. I thought it was a bootleg. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It, uh, it wasn't our greatest moment. I, I definitely could see that. I think what the problem was that uh, I seem to remember that we were working on another record, and you know that we'd been asked to to mix and put the uh, that live album together. Um, and to be honest, I think everybody's interest was making a new a new album, not not so much that you know. Uh, so I think that we were spreading ourselves a bit thin. Um, and that's kind of my recollection, really. So we'd probably let things go that we probably shouldn't, to be fair. Yeah. Now, the Ram It Down record, when you used a lot of drums on it, are programmed. Um, did that really piss off Dave Holland? It must have. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think we'd left by then, you know, or... Um, I think he probably left the band, you know, we don't, don't, but I don't think we announced it because I, I think we were hoping he would come back. <laughs> so it was one of those. Um, but, you know, Dave disappeared and um, we were lim- in limbo for a bit. Um, so I think that's kind of what happened there, really. Yeah, did you not... Did you not... Go ahead. Did you not try and um, maybe get in a session drummer for that record? No, I don't know what happened really. I think we started to put the um put the album together and of course by then myself and Glenn had got drum machines and stuff like that, so we were writing drum parts. Mm-hmm. And I think we started to put them down. And um so we were having fun with that really. Yeah. And uh and I think it was just a convenience thing that we were stuck out there in the dead of winter in the middle of Denmark, in the middle of nowhere, 
and um, and it was just a matter of convenience. But as much as uh, as, as I will agree with you, um, that it, nowadays you know, and then to be honest, it probably didn't sound quite as obvious. The drum parts seemed to give the record a lot of energy, um, you know. And when we did Blood Red Skies, we thought, this sounds great. You know, we know it's kind of programmed sample drums, but it seems to fit because it's a futuristic song, you know, set in the future. And it just kind of worked. And so we just kind of got, you know, drawn into that. And, um, you know, but, you know, Judas Priest over a long career, yeah, um, not all the right decisions were made, you know. Um, you can make mistakes, but once it's down and, and it's out and it's done with, it just becomes a part of your legacy and your history and uh, it is what it is. I really like that album. Mm. I really do. Yeah. Now, when, when Rob left and Glenn decided to do the solo album, and, of course, you said in the book that you were going to leave as well, um, did you want to do a solo album straight away? No. No, I've never had an interest in doing solo albums because I was always the guy in the band that was... I mean, I was just totally de- dedicated to Jesus Christ because the way that I figured it out, and guys don't seem to think like me, is that I go away and I write great songs. Uh, well, I think are really, really good, let's say, for a solo album. But if, if they're really that good, shouldn't I be presenting those for Judas Priest, which is the main event. Mm-hmm. You know, why should I put quality song ideas, you know, uh, on a solo album? You know, uh, because, you know, I, I kind of tell the story. I enjoyed working on the flagship of the fleet, you know, um, that led the uh, the fleet, you know, um, across the oceans of the world. You know, I didn't want to be working on some kind of to a mind sweep at the back, you know, mm. uh, trying trying to trying to make that into another, you know, flagship. There's only room for one flagship, <laughs> and uh, and I didn't fancy the task of trying to do that either, you know, because because whatever happens, you know, um, individuals, band members, even if, if they're the main members. I'd already witnessed people like Freddie Mercury, Mick Jagger, and lots of main players, you know, maybe Bruce Dickinson, lots of people have done solo stuff, but didn't really go too far, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so why should I think that I could do any better than they did? Well, no, you know, there are exceptions. Um, Ozzy, for example, but he went away and got great musicians and great guitar players around him and made some and and uh, and uh, wrote good songs and made good records, you know. Um, so in order for me to do that, I would have to do the same. I would have to get a great singer, you know. Where am I going to find a singer that's better than Rob? I don't know. Probably never going to happen, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Another guitar player, well, I've got Glenn Tipton, why would I want to work with anybody else? I don't know. <laughs> so none of that stacked up for me, and I was just always interested in 
and building the name because it's the name that goes up in there in lights and it's the name that brings people to the concerts. I really tuned today for many, many bands to have a skeleton version of the original lineup. Yeah, yeah. Now, KK, look, looking back on it now with Ripper Owens, uh, do you think it was a mistake not having him write more in the band? Well, um, I think the thing is that, um, in respect of lyrics, you mean, because um, Ripper didn't really play an instrument to to a point where he could, you know, I mean, I didn't hear anything that he wrote, but... Um, but we did um, offer out to Ripper to, to write lyrics, you know, and he did do some. Um, but I think the thing is that um, myself and Glenn, I think if, if, if it was fairly obvious that, that, that uh, Ripper had been a proficient songwriter and had, you know, some kind of catalogue, I think that we would have done that. But... I think the thing is that myself and Glenn were pretty really the the driving force when it came to um, providing material. We just we, I think we just got a lot of material to start with, and we would always just carry on. But you know, um, like I say, Ripper was just a, a really great guy. You know, I'm, I mean, I love him to bits. I really do, and what an incredible singer that performer. And a great guy to be with, so we were just really grateful that we got somebody out there that could uh, sing the songs that we were writing, really. But um, uh, in respect of the lyrics on those albums, and Glenn did the mainstay of that, so I don't know exactly how much of the lyrics were Glenn and uh, how much were, uh, were with that, but I know that I did see them working together. Yeah, now, it's the 50th anniversary of the band, I believe, next year. And uh, you did say in the book that when Rob came back, you didn't want him to sing any of the Ripper songs. But because it's the anniversary of the band next year, and Ripper was in the band for, what, seven, eight years, um, would you would you like to see Ripper be invited on stage in a couple of shows, or maybe even Rob attempt one, one song? Or, or even Rob do one song? I think it's a great idea to invite everyone. It would be great. Yeah, a great idea to have everyone uh, that's available yeah. um, take part in that. You know, why not? Because everybody did play a part, and a very important part. And Ripper certainly did. Ripper was absolutely crucial in keeping us going um, really through those years. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's... That's great. And Ripper and Rob on, on stage would be... No, I would pay to go and see that. <laughs> I would be the first to buy a ticket, believe me. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you get in a little bit, KK, about the Nostradamus record. Um, and Angela Retribution, you said you loved working with Roy Z on that. Why, why didn't you ask him to work on Nostradamus? Um, I think that... Um, I'm not sure if Roy Z and Glenn were getting on too well, you know, um, on that record, and don't ask me why. Um, I loved working with Roy, he's great, and he's a great talent as well, you know, uh, he really is. Um, but, 
the answer may well be Roy may well have been doing something else at the time. Uh-huh. Um, but um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure Roy and Glenn hit it off as well as uh, as they could have done, really. To be fair. Yeah. Now, when you did the Nostradamus record, you're writing it and you're finishing up recording it. Was it on the table? Were you being told that you were definitely going to go out and do the whole record live? Because you seem really disappointed in the book that you never had the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Like I say, whether it's a dream, whether it could have been done or not, um, but the opportunity, we often talked about it. Um, I think the thing is that um, the mainstay of the fans were disappointed that we kind of... uh, their minds done off somewhat of a, t- a tangent, I suppose, you know, compared to what they were expecting. And um, and, um, and, uh, and I'm sure that they've got a very valid point there because uh, a record like that is diversifying from what we had been doing, you know, for most of our careers. Um, but there were kind of points in our career where, you know, uh, fans, I mean, I'll jump to mind points of entry, let's say, and maybe Turbo, where the fans are going, ah, 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 not that, we want we want the priest that, that we want, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if Nostradamus had been just that bit more successful, I think that the record company and management would have prompted us to go into some places, you know, some nice venues, the Royal Albert Hall, Carnegie Hall or something, at least to showcase uh, the Nostradamus and to see how it went, you know. Um, well, it would have been a great theatrical stage show, really, with illusions and everything, with Rob playing and being Nostradamus. I can just visualize how great it would be, and the music would have come across pretty good, to be fair. Yeah. A lot of drama. A lot of drama in that, in the music there, you know, it would have been quite spectacular. And who knows, I hope one day somebody does it, or would do Yeah, I think it would have been in- interesting, KK, if you had it done it, because I do remember around the same time Iron Maiden brought out A Matter of Life and Death, and that album was about 65 minutes, and they went out and they played the whole album. Yeah. And you guys didn't, wow. which I thought was a pity. Yeah. Yeah. No. It would have been good, but um, not to be, I'm afraid. So we just went out and after that album and carried on touring around the world. But yeah, an opportunity missed. But like I say, it would be great. You know, some proficient musicians going out there. And uh, it would be great. It would be great, actually, for Rob to actually do it because he could do it. He's still able to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be great, honestly. I hope somebody backs that one really, Richard. I hope somebody really does. And again, that's another ticket I would buy. <laughs> <laughs> now, KK, when when you left the band, you said in the book that the only guy contacted you was Scott Travis. And um, were you surprised that Scott Travis contacted you? No, not really. I was just um, I was surprised that the other guys didn't. <laughs> you know, um, Scott, you know, acknowledged and uh, wished me well and said some nice things, and that was good. Yeah. Do, do you think that over the years, like, you were always friendly with the guys in the band, but you were, you were never really friends with them, or, or were you? Well, 
thought I was, to be fair, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm disappointed since a lot, I mean, particularly Ian, I mean, we were there, we went to infant school, junior school, secondary school, we were there, you know, as kids, Ian was just like a brother, you know, I looked at him as a brother, yeah, as a brother, you know, and, um, and that's why I was kind of shocked, really, that certain announcements were made just after I left, you know, um, that came from Ian. And, and the relationship, you know, be, you know, it's just sad in general. I don't know what's prompted that, really. I really don't. Um, because they knew, Rob, Ian and Scott knew that I was, you know, suffering. And we all were, you know, it was, it was getting to be hard work. It really was getting to be hard work. You know, uh, the readers were touring and recording and, and just, um, uh, and, and playing the shows weren't as enjoyable so much, you know, uh, for me, you know, um, you know, but people do things different ways, you know, um, I just felt that, um, we just weren't up to, um, I know we were all getting older, but that's when we have to try harder, I think. And I didn't think, I didn't really see that. You know, I felt that I was trying, you know, uh, as much as I possibly could, you know, to do what I'd always done before. So I think, I have a bit of complacency setting, I think, I don't know. Um, and it was probably just one of those things, people getting older, slowing down, then we liking to drink beers before and on stage, and everything slowed down, the performance slowed down. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't really as uh, as tight as, as, as musically as it, as it could have been. I was, I was just getting a bit nervy, really, going yeah. out there every night, really. Yeah. Did, did, um, you mentioned in the book the relationship with, with Shane and with Glenn being strained a, a lot of the time. Um, did you ever go to Rob or Ian or maybe even Bill and, and voice your concerns about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, myself and Ian and Rob and, and Scott, we, you know, we, we talked about it a lot, you know, but nothing ever got done, really. But it's not to say that who's right or who's wrong. Everything's always self-opinionated. And, but I think that, you know, that kind of... Um, relationship really just kind of I don't know it just made us feel like we were into you know the rest of us like certainly made like I was in a nine to five job really more you know in a way and uh, you know and uh, I was I just felt as though I was being more being told rather than being um, asked you know or you know because as a band, you expect the democracy to be there and you expect people to collectively make decisions where I felt decisions were being made and I was told that that's what we're going to do and, and it makes you just feel uh, subservient from want of a better word, really. And, um, and it was not what I expected because I am, you know, uh, I am KK Downing, you know, you know, we've all got our fans expect us to be you know, our fans look at us, individuals in the band, as though we're, you know, uh, fans look up to us, they, they you know, um, inspired by us. They don't expect us to be, uh, have be restricted or controlled in any way. They expect us to be a free spirit and, and to be a decision.
in nature and uh, and uh, to be a part and, and that's how people you know whether it's people in the industry or fans that's how they would expect me to be and that's uh, how I wanted to be but it just wasn't actually happening that way you know yeah. you can imagine before just I mean and this is why I, mean, I didn't go into too much detail in the book but I'm, I'm a person that seems to have been all my life you know had you know a certain control you know in the early days it's it's, it's your father, then it's school teacher, then it's your boss, you know, and you just want to shake that off. You want to be in control of your own, you know, creation and, and destiny and, 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 and personality and being and, you know, that's, you know, how, that's how you want to be. You, get, you know, it gets laborious to have someone always in your life that's, you know, um, more in control of what you do in your life, you know what I'm saying? In, in, in a small, tiny ways or bigger ways. Yeah. Do you, do you think, looking back on it now, KK, that Glenn and Jane took advantage of the, of like, they knew you wouldn't rock the boat because of your personality, that they took a little bit of advantage of that when making decisions? Yeah, maybe they just fell into the trap of not being able to help themselves, you know. I don't know what it was really, Richie, you know, but um, it certainly did come to fruition. Um, but, uh, and I think that that's why it is. You do get band members. And this is why band can stay together for a very long time because you have band members that are more classy and have more tolerance. And, and um, you know, it gets kind of tough really sometimes because, you know, if you sometimes if you go uh, against certain people or uh, organisations and you contest their their opinion, you know, uh, a lot of times people will just throw a strop, throw the toys out of the pram, and you know, and just drift off and nothing gets done. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've yeah. ever experienced. I'm sure everybody has. Oh yeah, you know. And it's, it's so frustrating if it's not if it's not you know, their way or the highway. You know, I mean, you just don't want the resistance and the confrontation. You know, and and you just hope in your mind that it will change. You know, but inevitably, just like you know, don't get I say, don't get me wrong at all. People do things because they're all, you know potentially they're all the best intentions in the world, but it's the right decision. You know, but. about him and he's complaining about her 
you know, it's um, it's very difficult to make any relationship work over a long period of time. Maybe a synthesis about to creep in here and there, and um, but we did, didn't we do well? Oh, yeah. years. <laughs> we did bless Okay, okay, I got one more question before I leave you go. Um, if you had a mulligan and you could start on any of the Judas Priest albums again from the beginning, which one would you pick? Oh, that's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. Let me think. Let me think. Uh, well, well, um, if I have to be perfectly honest, I mean, you probably disagree with this, but it probably would be rock and roll because I think that that album could have sounded a lot better. Um, it was a very low budget. We were very kind of, uh, we were, we were, we were novices, um, but, you know, um, but because it's the first album, you know, um, I just think that uh, if we did uh, done it in a, in a uh, you know, if we, if we did have the chance to do it over again, you know, straight away, um, I think possibly we could have had, you know, like a lot of other bands as a very successful first album. Yeah. And I think that that would have, that would have set the benchmark for the second, you know, for the, you know, uh, the albums to come after that. So I think it would make sense because we have Black Sabbath, they come out with their first album, fantastic. Red Zeppelin does the same. You know, you get so many bands that have a great, you know, a big first album and, and everything becomes a bit easier after that, I think, really, or at least you got the chance. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Having said that, it's not always easy to have a follow-up album that's as good or better. So it's, it's a fine line, but I'd love to have a crack at uh, Rock Rolder again. And, um, you know, can you imagine if we went in and we recorded it now? Oh, wow. Um, it, it would be something pretty special, I think. Yeah. Cheers, KK. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for the and, music. And thank you, Richie. It's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. All right. Take have, care. have a good rest of the day. Bye. Thank you, bye. Thank you, buddy. Bye. All right, there you go. Uh, as, as I said, yeah, Richie did a great job talking to KK, and I, I couldn't have done that one better myself. Again, uh, the book, KK Downing, Heavy Duty. Days and Nights in Judas Priest. He co-wrote it with Mark Eglinton, as you heard in the interview. And uh, go out and get yourself your own copy of it. I think it's going to be uh, well worth your uh, your little metal reading money, wouldn't you say? Sure, and I bet... Uh, you were surprised I didn't ask the guitar question. How many had he in his house? Um, no, because I figured you were you had a very limited time, and I and I knew from reading the book. I think you're kind of like me that that you ask yourself questions as you're reading it. Yes, and there's things that you're like you wish would get answered and all that. So mm-hmm. I knew with this wealth of material that you would just be like, I'm going to concentrate on exactly what I'm talking to KK about, and also. And I say it in a nice way, like kind of get a, a selfish, I want to learn some stuff for myself that, I, that aren't in here and answer, get some of my questions answered, which yeah. I would do too. I, I could have asked him how many golf clubs he had. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think awesome job. And, and, uh, and you know, it, it's great. It was great to finally have somebody that was in Judas Priest on the show. It's, it's definitely a roots of metal kind of thing. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Fits right into our wheelhouse. I don't know. It's been a, it's been a whirlwind month for guests. 
already, you know, between everybody that well, we've had on this month and, I'll, and I'll next tell, week. I'll tell you now that one week on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I did three different interviews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but next week... Once again, we have our buddy Kotak on the on the show. He was one of them, and uh, and so that'll be great. So uh, you know, stay tuned next week to listen to that. It's always great to have James on. Uh, good guy, one of the nicest guys in rock and roll that you will ever meet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you'll get to hear that next week with uh, Richie talking once again to Kotak. Yeah, here's just before we go. When I called James, yeah, he he, he knew he who I was. Yeah. yeah. Which does not happen, right. believe you and me, it does not yeah. happen very often. Right, but it's also been like, I mean, he gave the, he gave us his number before and been like, yeah, if, you know, like if something's not at the box office, call me. Yeah. Like kind of thing. Oh, so yeah. he's been good about that. Oh, he's been you know? super. Yeah. Brilliant. So it's uh, so that's, that's what, that is what is up next week. And it'll be very hard to top this week, but because uh, we've definitely been on that climb all month of some pretty amazing guests. Great job from Richie. With, uh, with talking to all these folks. Again, go out and get it. KK Downing, heavy duty, days and nights in Judas Priest. But uh, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie and myself, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.